Well, it's Christmas Eve, and you'd think the news would be slowing down, but we're about to publish a blockbuster story that brings the HB6 scandal inside Cleveland. First energy strikes again. We're not going to be talking about that, though, on this podcast. (laughs) You're going to have to wait until we return on January 4th. So if you want to know what that story is, check out cleveland.com later today. It's this week. It is this week, right? It's this week in the CLE (laughs) podcast discussion from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Jane Cahoon and Chris Ranowski. I'm getting punchy because I do two podcasts. I wasn't sure which one I was on. This is the (laughs) final one of the year, guys. We're done. We've been doing this every day since June. And uh, to, to, you know, to uh, quite a nice audience that we've gotten a lot of very good comments. People appreciate the analysis. It's been my pleasure to start each day or not start each day, but have a morning discussion with my trusted colleagues about their knowledge of these stories. I hope you all have a wonderful time off. Let's begin. Thank you very much. Why is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine putting teachers on the priority list for the coronavirus vaccine? Jane Cahoon is kind of a no-brainer, but let's answer the question anyway. Well, Mike DeWine really, really, really wants kids to be back in school. This is one thing, you know, we've seen the governors, uh, you know, the governor agonize over what this pandemic has has done to kids. And so this gives him an opportunity to to get them back into school. Uh, he he outlined this at his briefing on Wednesday. He he outlined the groups that would be in the next phase of the vaccine distribution. So uh, Ohio is going to prioritize vaccines to people 65 years old and older and those with severe developmental disabilities and adults in any school building, including cafeteria workers and other staff, uh, after after they finish the vaccinations for the for the frontline um, healthcare workers that that they're doing now, and those in the congregate care settings, he he hasn't set a firm timetable on this. It, it'll probably be mid January, and they and as far as the sixty five and older, they haven't determined whether they're going to break that into subgroups, like to give priority to the oldest people. But that's the general outline of of things. Just as a side note here, I know we're talking about schools, but I thought it was pretty stunning that he said. Nearly 87% of coronavirus deaths in Ohio are among those that are over 65. So, and those that are over 80 make up 52.9% of the deaths. But, but back to the schools, he he placed a great emphasis on this. He he said he's had conversations with educators and families, and families are really struggling with remote learning, and and some students are behind and they're falling back further and further, and. And, and the mental health issues that, that this brings to because of absenteeism and all, all kinds of things. And he said, I believe it's time to get all our children who want to be in class back in class. These kids are our future. They've been hurt uh, and so forth. So just to be clear, kids are not getting this vaccine, but um, they're going to be available for adults at, at any school where officials want to return or, or maintain in-person learning. Well, there a few things here. The, the 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 fastest way to reduce death from this is, of course, to to vaccinate the older people because that, as you said, is where the deaths are. So right off the bat, you can stop the tragedy of all the deaths. That's smart. The de- developmental disabilities make sense because you probably have people that it's very hard to get to do 
safe distancing and wearing masks and, and all of that. So you want to protect them. They're almost vulnerable. The teachers is fascinating because it's not really spreading in the schools, but teachers are who, who are in the classroom are being forced to go out and do all the things that those who work from home cannot and feel, because I married the one, that they're being put into harm's way. So if you want teachers to, to willingly and joyously go back into the classroom because that is the best way to teach, then you should do this. And a salute to Mike DeWine for figuring that out. This should get the kids back in school. Can I ask you a question? Is is there controversy over this? Like, I I feel like we're talking about this as as though you know there are people that are upset about the fact. Well, that yeah, are no. on, the, on the priority list. There is though, because as Mike DeWine has pointed out, all sorts of groups are claiming they should be high up on the priority list. I mean, we talked earlier this week. The journalist group put in and said we'd like to be considered essential workers for the purposes of the vaccine. Something that we disagreed with here, but. So, you know, and and you could make an argument it's, it's, if you were in some group, if you're a restaurant worker, if you are, a, well, let's take restaurant workers. I'm a restaurant worker. People keep coming in. They take their masks off to eat. They're exposing me to this in a way teachers aren't exposed because teachers are working in places with masks. Should restaurant workers be ahead of teachers? So, you know, it's all a it's all a judgment game. You've got the wisdom of Solomon to pick what Mike DeWine did was say, it's a policy decision for me. I want kids back in school. They're suffering. To do that, I'm going to vaccinate the adults well, in the school. Well, but it's not like it's not just kids. You know, you you have to actually this is this is an important driver of our economy. You know, if kids don't go to school, parents can't work. Parents can't work. Bills don't get paid. If bills don't get paid. Parents get evicted. You know, I mean, it's like I, I know that sounds extreme, but it's very much you know, it's, it's what most people who are trying to work are struggling with right now, which is, you know, wearing the dual, I mean, Lord, I'm advocating for Laura Johnston, who's not here, who has kids and, and who has had to work from home and And she's doing somersaults and, but, but, but it is that it, it, it is the fact, I think that it takes, it, it takes so much away from both the children and, and it creates this, this, additional burden for parents during all of this. And I, I, I think it makes sense. And, yeah, and, you know, and, and, you know, look, teachers are a powerful lobbying group, just like restaurants and everything else. They, they have political power in the state too. So, you know, <laughs> you, you know, they, they have, they have a group that, that goes down and pushes the governor for things like this. So we have to keep that in mind as well. Okay. Could I say too that um, Dewine said that this decision is always going to be up to parents, and the if the school districts want to stay remote, they can they can stay remote. But if they want to if they want to go back in person, they can take advantage of this. And he hopes to get them back by March first. I cannot imagine there are districts that are going to want to stay remote. I mean, it, it, yeah. it it's right. been a it's been a stopgap measure, but it's not quality education. Okay, yeah. you're listening to this week in the CLE. What is Akron Mayor Dan Horrigan's solution for his city for the unprecedented and interminable delays in mail delivery that Akron and all of Northeast Ohio are experiencing? Chris Ranowski, this is really unprecedented what we're seeing. Right. Just truck after truck lined up with all the Christmas presents and medicine and vital things and really no solution at hand except the mayor in Akron has an idea for the future. 
Right. So back in 2015, they shut down a mail processing facility in Akron, and it only left two in the state, one in Cleveland and one in Columbus. And so Dan Horrigan has has written a letter to the Postal Service basically saying that, you know, the the delays that, that we've been experiencing and that people have been experiencing this year um uh, as you know, especially during the holiday season is, is unacceptable and that he's urging them to reopen the, the, uh, the, the sorting facility down there. And, you know, it, it he, he, he rightly points out that this is going to be, you know, a, a, a bad Christmas for a lot of people because, because of the, the, the decision-making of the postal service many years ago. But on top of that, we've seen, legitimate efforts to mess with the postal service this year. So, you know, part of that contributes to it as well, but he, he's, he's, he's sort of demanding like, like let's reopen this now and, 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 and let's try to uh, deal with the solution now. But it, it, I, I, you know, what I don't understand about this is, is how quickly, I mean, it's, it's not going to have an immediate impact on Christmas, but you know, it's not like this backlog is going to go away. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see when the, when the last Christmas card is delivered next year, (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to Terry Pluto who, who lives down that way. And because it's so bad, the mail delivery in Akron, he took part of his, his, uh, day to go around kind of delivering his, his Christmas cards and sentiments himself safely dropping it off, but he wasn't going to trust the mail. Mm-hmm. It's really pathetic that, you know, you live in Akron, you want to send a card to somebody in Akron, but if you do, it'll take a week and a half to get there. Well, uh, we, I, I, I have someone on my, you know, one of my reporters told me I can't get my med- my medication got stuck and I had to go out and actually buy it at the store. Yeah. You know? So, you know, there's prescriptions and stuff that are being held up. It's not, you know, it's not just like, Oh, your spoiled kid isn't getting his Christmas present. This is, you know, there are older people who rely on this for, for medication. There, there, there are, there are people who rely on it for a lot of things for work. And, and this is, this is bad. You know, I mean, it was bad during the election. It's bad now. So, you know, this is not a bad idea. And I, I just, you know, I have a hard time believing that the will will be there at the federal level, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Why does Mike DeWine, who we just said wants kids back in classrooms as soon as is safely possible, pushing to delay the start of classes in January by an extra week? Jane Cahoon, even though the question makes it sound like it doesn't make sense, it makes a great deal of sense. <laughs> yeah, we we saw this same sort of thing after Thanksgiving, where a lot of districts didn't didn't bring kids back right away. DeWine says that if they took like an extra week, it would allow a buffer in in case people have been exposed over the holiday. So so you delay the return and then uh like if you if you've been exposed to the virus it takes several days for it to incubate and for symptoms to begin so presumably this would be like extra insurance that people who are going to get sick end up staying home instead of going back yeah it makes this just makes sense you're hearing schools were going to do this anyway you were hearing one school after another because the county health boards are recommending it just spend that extra week, let the virus do what it's going to do in the, in the period after the travel, and then get all the kids back together in the schools, possibly with vaccinated teachers. <laughs> it's this week in the CLE. 
Was Kent State University hacked or not in the Solar Winds breach? Chris Ranowski, this is an update of a story we discussed earlier this week after the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal reported that Kent State was on the list that had the malware uh, attached to at least one computer. What's the update? Right. So the university announced on Wednesday that it found no evidence that hackers used the malware to access the university's network. Uh, They sent out an email to students, faculty and staff at the college that said that it is working with cybersecurity consultants to prevent future uh, potential attacks. But what they 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 were one of the the many, many, many companies that are companies, uh, organizations that had had this solar winds uh, Orion software. Uh, but, uh, you know, according to the university, they say that, that, that nothing nefarious happened, that, that the, the Trojan horse that was sort of used within that software to break into, uh, you know, federal agencies and other companies, uh, none of that happened at Kent State, according to the university. So, so they were not compromised and, and, and it's, it's, it's their belief and, and, and through their research, they, they have found that, that nothing bad happened. No student, no student data was taken, no personal information was taken and everybody can breathe a little easier. But what if the hack was like Donald Trump's election fraud, that it was so well done that it's virtually undetectable? (laughs) I, I mean, that remains to be seen. It's, it's, this is such a. Uh, I I I wonder. I worry that people aren't paying enough attention to this story because it is, it is truly an act of war kind of moment, you know, between nations here. And 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 what's scary is that for the next thirty days you have a president who you know has barely mentioned it, and when he did mention it, he deflected and said it, he said it wasn't might, that bad. It might be China, and it might be you know what I mean. And, no, and you're talking about. The you know, fake news is making it sound way worse than it is. It's and just- I, okay, and I'm not saying that this is the case, but you know, you have a you have a president who has been cu- accused of having you know a, a a closer than most relationship with the Russian president. You have a a giant breach of national security that is being attributed to the Russian government, and and a president that's saying, "Man, I don't see it," and and that's a little. It's that's scary, and 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 I think I think what you could what can be accomplished in 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 the span of what's left of his administration is pretty is a lot. You know, I, I think it's it's scary, and I and I hope I hope the federal government gets a handle on this. You know, I'm I'm reading you know I you know I'm reading stories saying should we retaliate? You know, what do we do here? And 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 like we said, like I said the last time we talked about this, this is this is how our this is how you're going to start bringing down economies. You know, we, we, all this defense spending that we do, it's like, Oh, you can take down, you can ruin a nation with a handful of people in a, in a troll farm, <laughs> you know, on the outskirts. Hey, I've got my electric. <laughs> when, when the grid goes down, I've got a generator. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> okay. This week in the CLE. All right. Here's the substance conversation of this podcast episode. Did Mike DeWine read the letter he got Sunday from the former PUCO commissioners who want a deeper investigation than is happening following the corrupt House Bill 6, $1.3 billion nuclear bailout using $60 million of money from First Energy for bribes? If he did, what was his response? Jane, lots to talk about with HB6 here today, not including the big story we're publishing in a little while. What? Let's start with this letter. 
We told us on Monday, I hadn't read it yet, which kind of defied credibility, right? Because it's like, everybody right. else read it. Why didn't you read it? It was to you. Right. We asked him again yesterday. What did, what did he say? Has he read it yet? Well, I guess I guess we got one step further in our attempt to get him to to address this. So, yeah, he said he did read it, <laughs> um, but he he glanced at it because he's he's been very busy with his announcement about the the next phase of the coronavirus vaccine. But I should just say a little bit about the letter first. It was a really strong letter from three former PUCO commissioners calling for an independent investigation of First Energy and and a look at whether they should even be allowed to continue to do business in Ohio. They said the PUCO has broad oversight powers it could be using to, to restore public trust that's just been shredded by this House Bill 6 scandal, as you mentioned, with the with the bribery scheme, the largest in Ohio history. And uh, so DeWine is the one who is going to appoint a new PUC Oh, member and a new commissioner. I mean, chairman. I'm sorry. Um, now that Sam Randazzo has resigned as chairman, his house was searched by the FBI. And just to remind everyone, his resignation came just after First Energy disclosed that it made a questionable four million dollar payment in early 2019 to an entity associated with an unnamed person who subsequently was hired by the state to regulate utilities. So uh, anyway, this all leads up then to us asking the question once again at at his briefing. And he said, uh, yeah, I glanced at the letter. I thought what the letter was indicating is they want the PUCO to do that. So that would be something under the new leadership of the PUCO. As you know, we're in the process of filling a vacancy on the PUCO and also naming a new chair, which is something the governor does. But I think that issue would be taken up by the PUCO after the new chair is in place. So even though the governor holds great authority over the PUCO and he's saying that, he's just going to leave it up to them. You know, he's he's seeming to have when when HB six first broke, he had signed the bill. He had been a big supporter of the bill. He originally didn't want to repeal it, but then he started coming out strong saying it stinks. We should get rid of it. Suddenly though, he's looking very vulnerable with regard to first energy. The Cincinnati Inquirer got hold of some records yesterday that raised serious questions about his relationship with this utility. And and then it brings you back to the focus. He's the guy that named Sam Randazzo the chairman. Sam Randazzo, who appears to have taken a $4 million payment from First Energy in that role, which should have raised alarm bells all over. And even when I knew that, he said, I haven't seen anything to suggest that he's under investigation. You know, at some point, yeah. he's not going to be able to stay immune from this. What did the Cincinnati Inquirer report? Yeah, Jackie Borchard uh, reported that uh, DeWine had actually asked First Energy officials to to um, give money independently uh, to independent groups supporting him and his daughter who was running for prosecutor. And so the the they did get First Energy money funneled through some dark money groups. So um, the it, same it dark was, money groups that are involved in. <laughs> The HB6 bribery scheme. Right, right. So this kind of ties things together. It's a, it's kind of an unseemly connection, I think. And uh, they stressed that this was totally legal. It wasn't like a coordinated thing. And uh, But I believe they quoted a good government person saying, 
it should be illegal. <laughs> well, he's the guy that said earlier this week that the deal is stinking up the room. And it turns mm -hmm. out he was in the room that the dark <laughs> money was used for him. So look, th there comes a point where if he wants to maintain that he has integrity and that he's clean, he's got to start pounding the drum. There is a suggestion by the PUCO commissioners that First Energy should be banned from doing business in Ohio, that they've abused the public trust, that we ought to investigate that. And if that's where it's gone, get him out. He, he should be banging the drum. The question we're asking him about these three PUCO former commissioners really puts the spotlight. Mike DeWine you took money from these people. This starts to stink in your house. What are you going to do about it? And he's deflecting. Instead of saying, look, I'm picking an, a, a, a new commissioner and I'm talking to him about this, that, that I want them to go in there and clean house and do an investigation. And he didn't. He made it sound like it's, a, it's once removed. Yet right. he's, he's picking. And I, I should know, too, that during this whole House Bill 6 thing with the legislature dragging its feet over whether to repeal it, DeWine did not really exert himself into that process as he very well could have. Well, you know, we've talked in the past couple of weeks that the utilities appear to be in the back rooms trying to impede the repeal of HB6. You wonder if they're in the room with DeWine now because he clearly has talked to them in the past. For the same dark money groups that completely corrupted the state house in getting the ridiculous sweetheart deals for First Energy, now funding his campaign and his daughter's campaign, this is the big red flag waving heading into the holidays. Mike DeWine has some explaining to do. It's this week in the CLE. Is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine going to allow more fans to attend indoor sports events like Cavs games? Chris Ranowski, this question was asked yesterday. I think we asked it. I, I don't think we got a clear answer, but we got words. What were they? Well, right now he's maintaining that he's going to stick with the 300, you know, the 300 person cap on, on indoor sports that, that he put on there. But, but really he, he did, he offered no sort of, sense that that he may start to slow open it up or or allow people in there i mean he 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 still sort of stressed that he is is a little skittish about the idea of of allowing people to congregate inside sports arenas we've we've seen exceptions be made for outdoor sports like the browns games and the Bengals games um but but as of right now i don't i don't know that that you know hockey or any you know any of these sports are going to have people have big crowds at them yet and 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 the Cavs would be no exception i know the Cavs are desperate to get more people in there and they're working on their ventilation and things but it's indoors maybe the best thing they can hope for is that you get the Cavs fans to the front of the line for the vaccine ha 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 well, look, I mean, yesterday was, uh, you know, the opening game for the Cavs. And by the way, they looked very good. Um, but, you know, you have you had one game canceled yesterday because you had one player who went out and <laughs> was irresponsible and and other players came into contact with him. And, and you know, it, it's it's you know, I saw somebody say, well, you know, they were in the bubble and, and none of this happened. And, and it's like, well, yeah, it's also kind of unreasonable to ask. NBA players to do an almost full season away from their families, right. away from all that stuff. And it just, it, it, it struck me as like a weird thing to say that, that these people should be isolated from their families for your entertainment. I think this, the solution is to just keep the crowds out of there 
you know, and, and, and it's not and, just for your entertainment. It's also for millions of dollars in salary. I mean, there is, it, there is a benefit that accrues to them if they do it, but it, it, it that's, you're asking people to do a lot to be isolated from. Right. Right. But, but, you know, athletes are millionaires who actually do a lot of work. You know, I, there are a lot of millionaires who don't do work who just, make okay. money. All right. so, yeah. <laughs> this week in the CLE. Let's take a moment to note the passing of the founder of Slyman's Deli, that quintessential Cleveland eatery. Chris Ranowski, he created a bona fide institution for Northeast Ohio. Yeah, usually when you say that somebody put Cleveland on the map, it's it's a figure of speech. But you you can't watch a food show that travels to the city and not have them come to the place that Joseph Slyman built. Uh, and unfortunately, it was announced on Tuesday uh, that he had passed away at the age of 83. You know, this is a uh, this is one of those, you know, truly great sort of immigrant, you know, stories where he came here and opened this restaurant back in 1964. And and, you know, he just became synonymous with the, you know, the 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 very generous portions of food that that you, you could find uh, featured at restaurants all over the city. And and I, you know, I remember when I mean, I mean, it's it's sad because he passed away, and we also lost, you know, Sokolowski's this year because of the pandemic. And 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 when that happened, I went back and I watched the original Anthony Bourdain No Reservations episode where he came to Cleveland, and he was skeptical about things here, and he went to, you know, he went to the university, and and then he went to Slimans, and and it's like, well, of course you go to Slimans. It's it's everybody goes to Slimans. So so it's you know, this is it's. It's a sad note. I hope this isn't where we're going to end the podcast on today. But okay. but you know, I, our hearts go out to his family and 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 really, you know, if if you if you have never been to Slyman, something's wrong with you. You got to go. And if okay. you like corned beef, yeah, <laughs> it's this week in the CLE. Hey, Chris, can can we end this podcast uh, with a question for you? Okay, let's do so. <laughs> what what's the deal with that mammoth? holiday crossword puzzle that that's normally in the plane dealer by now well jane Cahoon, i'm glad you asked me that because <laughs> i have spent a large part of my week dealing with that turns out that the mammoth crossword puzzle which has been showing up every holiday season in the plane dealer for about 16 years usually runs the sunday before christmas and readers have built a tradition around solving it on christmas and the day after this year, because Christmas is so far away from the Sunday, we had the bright idea to run it the Sunday after Christmas, which we have announced to people. They don't really appreciate that, Jane Cahoon. They think <laughs> we should be doing it now. So I've had to explain this, and I've got a column coming about it Saturday. But here's the good news. We did figure out a way to put together a printable version, a home printable version on your computer printer that we're going to publish in the paper or online tomorrow. So if people want to start on Christmas Day, they can, and then they can transfer their answers to the big puzzle. What's really cool about this is how much um, we can mean to people and their traditions. I mean, it's really kind of touching to hear from so many people who have built this into their tradition. This is designed by a Calgary uh, news editor who started it as labor of love, invests an enormous amount of time in it each year. It's got more than 200 clues. It, it fills two entire newspaper pages. You can print it out much smaller. Um, and, and it's just a cool thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been charmed really by the amount of attention 
it's gotten. And, and you've and been abused too. <laughs> year, man, this thing will run on Sunday, even though Christmas will be the following Saturday. We will not make that mistake again. So it's our gift to people if they want to do it. It's for subscribers only, uh, but it'll be on cleveland.com tomorrow morning. It's this week in the CLE. And that wraps the year. I appreciate the good conversation from Jane Cahoon, Chris Ranowski, and Laura Johnston all year. I wish you the best holiday season possible. I hope you're going off today, right? This is it. This is your your final duty of the year, right? Well, I work this weekend, but that's, oh, that's okay. neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> all right, I, well, Jane Cahoon, it's your final duty of the year. I'm gone after this, I think. Okay. And uh, Laura Johnston uh, took off a day ago. So have a great time. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We wish you a wonderful holiday season. We will return on Monday, January 4th.